Hello everyone, my name is Sophia Eggie, and welcome to the Rhetorician's first episode. We're starting strong with an analysis of Shuten Doji, known to be the third most evil yokai in all of Japanese history. Yokai in Japan are like demons or ghosts or entities, whatever you guys follow out there. They are, you know, that evil aura. Um, sometimes they're not necessarily evil. You know, they're somehow in that middle, that middle ground, but always radiate that like evil sense. This yokai is very different in the way that it represents a larger gray area of, like I said before, not being necessarily evil, but also not good. Picture Shuten Doji as a large baby in the daytime, with his big belly protruding out from his robe, huge yellow eyes. Shuten Doji almost looks fully human. His oni side transforms him into an equally ginormous red demon, with the large red body, long sharp teeth, and horns. These two opposing identities make it really hard to associate Shuten Doji with being human and being just an oni. Due to his story that was told around the Heian capital to be retold decades and decades later into present day, showed that there's more to be seen than just a symbol of an evil oni. To fully grasp the identity of Shuten Doji, it is necessary to understand the story that gained him the status of being an arch enemy of Buddha and just overall being a negative symbol. The story is under the premise that warriors can use Buddhist and Shinto techniques to overcome evil that has been seeping into the Heian period capital. It all began when women started to go missing due to the demons living on Ma Mount Oi. The retired middle counselor of the emperor brought to his attention that his beautiful daughter had gone missing the night before. This case called for a unique warrior, Minamoto no Raiko, accompanied by a band of six men to search for the lost daughter. When Raiko arrived, he told his warriors that praying to Buddha and the deities at Shinto temples were very necessary. Otherwise, they would have no chance to kill these demons on the mountain. They decided that they needed to dress in disguise using particular Yamabushi clothes, which wasn't uncommon during that time period for people living in the mountain who were very spiritual. And they also pretended that they were lost. Along the way to the mountain, they encountered old men who gave them very sacred gifts, gifts of sake and a helmet to defeat Shuten Doji. And it was later revealed that there were deities from the Shinto temples that they prayed to. As they walked toward the mountain, they came across a woman washing bloody clothes across the river who pointed in the right direction of the demon's lair. Raiko and his men finally arrived and tricked Shuten Doji into thinking they were Yamabushi and allowed the men for a feast where they made the demons drunk with the sacred sake. This sacred sake could only make demons drunk, but could not make the humans drunk. This was really important because when they finished feasting, Shuten Doji was so drunk he had to return to his quarters. And this is where Raiko and his men decided to attack. They chopped off every bit of his body and finally chopped off his head, which his head was sent flying to kill Raiko. But luckily, the sacred helmet had protected him. After the Oni died, they rescued all the women and brought them back to the capital. 
This story overall holds that religious narrative of spiritual warriors defeating an arch enemy in the name of good, making Shuten Doji an ultimate symbol of evil, and that he was tainting the capital and they needed to use sacred objects for purification. Shinto is the original religion of Japan, which is a huge component of this story. Like I said prior, just to remind you all that the deities seen at the temple were the Shinto deities, and they were the ones that gave the warriors the key that they needed to defeat Shuten Doji. Shinto has also been used to legitimize the power of the emperor, and this pushes an ideology that everything has a spirit which is really important when looking at the sacred elements of the story, the sacred sake and the sacred helmet, because it's almost like they're alive in their duties and they were along the ride with the warriors, helping them, even though for us, for a lot of people outside of this religion, it could be seen as just inanimate objects, which is a really key and powerful point of the story. During the Heian period, which is when the story was told, Shinto would work to enforce this ideology of Shuten Doji being an overall symbol of evil. This is because the story is told in a way that enforces the emperor's power and is further proved by these three deities. What I mean by enforces the emperor's power is that the emperor was the one to call on these mystical warriors who were able to kill this demon and further were approved by the deities by being stopped and given these gifts. During this time period of Japan, it was controlled mostly by the shogunate, which is the warrior class, making the emperor a figurehead in the capital. The story itself was written to appeal to the idea that the emperor still holds some kind of power over the warriors. And it also legitimates the warrior class and the power that they hold, being able to be those really good warriors, legitimizing that violence, and ultimately, you know, getting over evil. Overall, this allows for a persuasive symbol of an evil Oni being slain by those righteous warriors, blessed by deities to enact violence or to arguably also end violence. The other dominant religion in Japan is Buddhism. In some translations of Shuten Doji, he is seen as the archenemy of Buddha himself, which is creating an inherent view of Shuten Doji being ultimately evil. In this story though, through the lens of Buddhism, I'd argue that both the warriors and Shuten Doji are seen to be doing evil deeds. One of the main ideologies of Buddhism is being truthful and upholding a life to truthfulness. In the story of Shuten Doji, the warriors dressed up and pretended to be something they weren't. They pretended to be Yamabushi, who are highly spiritual. And they did this in order to lie to Shuten Doji and to ultimately kill him. When the warriors came to kill Shuten Doji in his room, he even cried out in the story, How sad, you priests! You said you do not lie. There is nothing false in the words of demons. Which creates a larger narrative of asking the question, 
Who are the evil ones in the eyes of religion? This question is honestly very hard to answer because like we have discussed throughout this podcast, being able to say who is evil depends on the morals that are attached to that religion and that group of people overall, that community, that time period. There's so many things going into these morals. So we can't look at it in just this one-sided view of the rhetoric of religion because it is the rhetoric of many things, not just religion that's attached to this story. And even deeming someone to be evil is just so demeaning because there are multiple definitions of evil and good. This is why the gray area that Shuten Doji encompasses is so confusing but also so enlightening. I argue it is important to view that these symbols were originally deemed evil but that they're actually supposed to be deemed as object. Object being that gray area of what encompasses good and evil. And due to these multiple translations and changing of decades since the story was originally told, this is where polysemy comes into play, which is an important way to interpret rhetoric of religions in general. We cannot constrain ourselves to one meaning because viewing many meanings allows for the audience to gain their own conclusions instead of following the traditional dominant discourse. Ultimately, when reviewing Shuten Doji, the Oni is the one doing the evil deeds by killing women and eating them, but his words are always truthful. The humans are in disguise and lie to kill Shuten Doji. These ideas both show evil qualities within the realm of Shinto and Buddhism, leaving the question of how do symbols become redefined through these different generations? How would Shuten Doji be seen in modern society then? Do you think things have changed? Do you think morals have changed in these religions? I would say that he would not just be confined to the symbol of evil, but overall just a symbol of being on the outside, overall being misunderstood and corrupted by evil. I'd argue that he's being corrupted by evil and not genuinely evil. Well, that is it. That is the story of Shuten Doji and my analysis of the religious rhetoric that is within the story itself. Thank you so much for tuning in to my first episode of The Rhetorician. I really hope you guys enjoyed this story and I hope you're walking away with this, realizing that symbols are not just a one-sided thing, but they have many meanings and they're interpreted differently by every person. Thank you guys so much. And I just want to give a quick thanks and also shout out to the references I had today. Pals 2009, Religion as a Cultural System. Lin, 2002, The Ideology of Imagination, The Tale of Shuten Doji as Discourse. O'Brien, An Introduction of the Fourth Brutist Precept, Truthfulness. And Ryder, Shuten Doji, Drunken Demon. Thank you.